I was trying to figure out what I was listening to instead of OAR. <laughs> Anything? Oh, Neo. I was definitely listening to Neo. <laughs> Bro, Neo's amazing. Uh, yeah. Neo should have all of the fame that Chris Brown does. That is not even a question. Neo is our baby face. 100%. And we just let him go. <laughs> we just let him slip through our fingers. Neo is our baby face, and we let him slip through our fingers. It's unacceptable. everybody welcome to the two woke nerds podcast thank you so much for listening in again this week before we get started i'd love to remind you if you like what we do please leave us a rating or review on apple Podcasts. it helps a ton get the show out there share this with your friends your co-workers somebody you know loves nerd news my name is gerald goodrich i'm your host and i'm joined this week like i am every week by a man who absolutely does not care about the incredibles raymond summerlin ray how you doing bud that's true gerald wanted us to talk about the new incredibles trailer I went and watched it. There's a, there's a like a core, uh, what is it? Core concept, not core. <laughs> Obviously, it's a core concept. <laughs> it's a, a common core joke in there, which just angers me greatly as a as a former educator about all the misinformation about common hey, core. You you never stopped educating. You just stopped doing it for a paycheck. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's a. There's like a whole like, oh, look, dad staying home with the kids. How funny is that angle to it? Which just, oh, makes me so angry. Dads are parents too. Like stop running that out there. It's not 1987 anymore. So anyway, I watched the trailer once and I've decided I'm completely out on this whole idea. Yeah, I'm going to end up seeing it. Yeah, I'm... obviously you're going to see it. You have to see it. <laughs> you, are, you are addicted to Pixar for the next at least 15 years, depending on how many children you have. Yeah, and it was the only good comic book movie for a very long time, like the original Incredibles. Like, there was that gap between, like, the original X-Men and Batman Begins that the Incredibles really scratched that itch for me. So we have got one thing to talk about. We're talking Black Panther today. Ray and I both got the opportunity to see it this last weekend, and before we jump in, guys, we say this every time we do one of our movie breakdowns, if you have not seen this movie pause the podcast right now go figure out why you're the only person in the united states that hasn't seen black panther go buy a ticket see it and then come back because what we're going to talk about will aid in your processing through why this was uh now your new favorite film so black panther opened this past weekend it had the second highest Four-day domestic total, $242 million, second to The Force Awakened, $426.6 million worldwide. Basically half a bill in one weekend. So uh, we could say it's successful. We could say it made quite a bit of money. Raymond, what did you think about our foray into Wakanda? Well, this is awkward because I thought we were going to talk about Call Me By Your Name this week. And so that's what that's what all my no obviously I uh, I saw Black Panther. Uh, it was uh, you know it was good. <laughs> it was, was good. good. Just good. How about it was pretty good. Pretty 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 good. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, 
So I we both loved it. Like it's it, there's no two ways around. Yeah, that. like I don't know how to answer that question. Like it's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie that has 98 percent on Rotten Tomatoes for a very good reason because it was spectacular. It was it was. I people are saying it's the best Marvel movie. I don't know about that, but it was it was amazing. It was great. Like I don't I don't aside from one very minor thing. I don't know how you could really go out and critique this movie. Like that's that's the thing. It was fantastic. Like why like there, I don't really know if we need to talk about like how much we loved it because we both loved it, right? Yeah, we we we're absolutely I'm through the moon through like I absolutely love it. Um you know, we we could spend a 45 minute podcast talking about what we liked about it. We're going to talk about some specific things that we did like and some kind of important things that happened. Uh but Ray, we're we're going to spend probably 15 20 minutes just gushing about this movie. So Fair before enough. we jump in, what what maybe if you could have improved anything on a film that is widely lauded as pretty darn good, what, you know, you mentioned there was one small thing. What is that one small thing? I Do we really you're gonna make me say it, like I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna make you pick out the pimple on the prom queen. Come on. How about we? T- how about we talk about good stuff? Okay, we'll talk about good stuff. The opening scene was just quickly and beautifully described the history of Wakanda, and it was it was so perfect. You know, so many movies use that kind of that block lettering there, say, and they go, "This is the history. This is the history. This is what you need to know." Like the post used that, and every time it's used, it just takes me out of it completely. I go, "It's it, if you're not Star Wars, you shouldn't have a scroll before your before your movie." I hate it. They didn't go that way around. They had this beautifully narrated and animated history of Wakanda that that really set the tone, set the scene, set the theme for this entire movie. And I thought it was just a spectacular way to open it. And we didn't know the characters at this time, so I don't know this for sure. But I've read since that that opening scene was actually Sterling K. Brown's character, Najobu, explaining the history to a young Killmonger, which even adds an extra an extra layer to what was going on there. That was just fantastic. That opening scene was just amazing. And then right after that, they hit you with probably the best joke of the movie, which is yeah. there are two Grace Jones-looking women standing outside the door, <laughs> which dead, completely dead. And then, and then from there, it just, kept, it just kept being amazing. It was just spectacular. So I think that for some reason, when I come away from it, that, that opening scene like set the movie, and I said, oh, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this correctly. And that's, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, you, you hit on it. I... As soon as that scene hit, I I started making connections. I'm glad it was Sterling K. Brown. I assumed it was, but it's a it's a movie about fathers and sons and legacies, and so it's fitting that it was a father telling a son about his legacy and their legacy uh, to open the film. It's just it, it was. There's so many awesome themes that were explored in this film. You know um, how men should handle and process emotions is explored. How our heroes are fallible. And we have an opportunity and kind of an obligation to right the wrongs that our forefathers left for us. There's there's so much deep stuff in this film. Uh, we could go on and on about it. And really, one of the things I want to talk about, one of the probably the most important conversations that's happening around this film, is is representation. 
Um, and we wouldn't be the two woke nerds without talking about something like this. Uh, so this was a film that was chock full of important representation for everybody, for African-Americans, for women. Come on, ladies. There was so much there. Raymond, the, the Dora Milaje, Okoye, uh, Nakia, like these women were the stars of the show as much as Black Panther and Killmonger. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, sure, he was the the breakout star. I think of this of this movie that I actually don't even know what the actress who plays that uh, is, but she was she was fantastic. Uh, you mentioned there, there's even a LGBT kind of element to this, even though it kind of got it kind of got you know taken back. But that's Dora Malai. That's a lot of what's going on there. So it was it was it was really inter- really interesting to see that. Um, that's what is that now? Two Marvel movies in a row where they've kind of hinted around it with yeah. Tessa Thompson's character in uh in Thor Ragnarok so yep so I it's that's really good to see as well so uh it was great I mean um all of the all of the secondary characters were just fantastic Umbaku was just was wonderful as well yeah and it, it, and it was great I, I mentioned this about Annihilation like a couple of weeks ago when we talked about it one of the one of the reasons I was really excited about Annihilation is because they made a female predator but they didn't advertise it like a female predator yep. right they just go this is women this is not this isn't weird this is just women going out and being scientists and going out and being soldiers and doing what women do and they kind of did that as well it's not like it was the dormilaje are women that's what who they are that's that's they're soldiers so like there was nothing it never really played to it i like that as well um so yeah, so I thought that, that was I thought that, that was an important point. Um, I kind of like I kind of like the Afro futuristic, like th- that whole like like I, I, it's coming back right. We've seen it a bit, but yeah. to see that like this city, this beautiful city in Africa, and and they really they hit on it several times. Like that that ending scene where he goes, "What can a backwater Africa country really offer us?" This idea that you know that was so much fun. So yeah, all of that in there was really important. Yeah, you you hit on probably one of my favorite things. I've been blowing people up about it, you and a couple of my other friends. What they did with M'Baku, that character, is just... I, I I think I made up a term, but I called it like cultural reclamation. Uh, you know, in the characters, Manape is a big old sack of problematic stereotypes. He is a savage African man wearing the pelt of a great white ape, and he leads an army of apes to overthrow the Wakandan kingdom. That's a little problematic, yeah. and they flip that on uh, yes. his head. <laughs> yes, problematic's a good word for that. And so they, they grab this guy, Winston Duke, who, by the way, I need Winston Duke in so much more stuff. Yeah, like, bring Put him, him in everything. Yeah. But they, they took a charismatic actor, and they took some of the the imagery and the iconography that is associated with that character and kind of flipped it on its head. They revere the gorilla. They revere the power. They revere the the um, kind of the, the regalty. Is that a word? I don't know. We'll go with it. Uh, the regalness of, of the gorilla. Um, and and even using it as a as a chant and as a uh, call for them. And just seeing you know him be able to flip from menacing to comedy to uh, you know kind of endearing. That for me was just so cool. And again, Winston Duke, like every scene that dude was in, like my eyes were glued to whatever he was doing. Uh, so Ray, you and I had a little bit of a discussion this morning via text message. Uh, just a little bit of a t- discussion. We, we, we paused it for the show. Uh, so one of the things that is, is coming out of this film is some ideologies around 
what would traditionally be called the villain of the film, Eric Killmonger, played by Michael B. Jordan, brilliantly, by the way, who crushed it. So a lot of people are identifying with his thought processes, his actions. Uh, how do you sit on, you know, was he right? Was he wrong? Uh, or is it a mix of the two? Well, I, and that, first of all, I want to say that was kind of the last point I was holding for what worked. What worked? Killmonger worked. Like, yeah. he was such a spectacular villain. And we were talking about it. That's four in a row. I, I can quibble with four, but for the purposes of our, for the purposes of our, uh, of our discussion, we'll say four really good villains in a row for Marvel. Yep. Where you're talking about, uh, Zemo, you're talking about, you're talking about, um, Hella. Hella, you're talking about now Killmonger and who's the, oh, Vulture as well. Vulture. So you're talking about, you're talking about four good characters there, villains in a row, which is obviously, the thing that DC struggles with the most, which it's telling and in, in the differences between these two universes, I, I think. And they built Killmonger's character so well through what he did and instead of what he said or what was said about him. And Martin Freeman did do some exposition of who the guy was once they kind of figured out who he was. But they, they built him, they built him just by what he did, you know, his intelligence in the museum. They said, oh, this is a guy who's really smart, knows a lot about what he's doing. He's kind of brashness, wearing that mask. The fact that he just flew into Wakanda and said, what's up? I'm here. You know, I need to talk to you. His confidence in the prison break, like he was just so confident in his prison break. His one-mindedness and his ruthlessness in that he shot his girlfriend, which, by the way, they didn't have to say a lot about that relationship. They showed you that relationship was close, and then just – she had no lines, I don't think. She might have said, what, two things? Yeah, so, so, I'm going on break. I think that's it, what she said. Exactly. So, like, they they just – they built this character through actions, which is what you want to see, and it was so good. And you mentioned it. They built a character now that ostensibly is a villain, but – who so many people identify with, including me. And I, I think I left that movie thinking that thinking that Killmonger was right. And I, I understand that he did some some terrible things, but there history is littered with revolutionaries who have done terrible things that we have whitewashed just to make them quite literally whitewashed in some cases. Yep. Just to make them just to you know just to live on through you know and, and live in the world that they've created through that revolution. So I don't know if that's something that you particularly hold against him. Obviously, because of his backstory, that you know it led him to anger and to killing and all of those things. But I actually think when you take back and look at what he wanted to do and what T'Challa ended up doing, I, I like Killmonger's mission statement more than I like T'Challa's. Yeah, it, there is a there is a uh, a a route to it, and there is a fair route. I mean. You, there's a reason why you set it up and you started in Oakland in 92. Yeah. Like the, the LA riots, the race riots, the Rodney King beating. Um, and then you take it now to what is happening in our current juncture where it feels like we haven't come very far in, in 26 years now, which is crazy to think about. Um, but for me, you know, I, 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 I viewed it as, you know, Killmonger and T'Challa are kind of two sides of the same coin and neither of them got it a hundred percent right. Their hearts were in the right place, their intention, their, but their intentions didn't necessarily, or their actions didn't necessarily live up to their noble intentions. T'Challa is just trying to protect his people, but that's not, that's not what he needs to do as a leader. As a leader, you have to make tough decisions. And with Killmonger, he wants to give power to the powerless. And that's something that I fully believe in. But again, a, a bloody execution, having people 
killed, having uh, murder and mass murder is not necessarily the way to go about it. Now, we can have the conversation all day. One man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Like, yeah. I, I will fully have that conversation and prepared to have that conversation. Uh, but I think in the context of the film, um, for me, it just doesn't, I can't quite get there. Like, I, I, I understand it, but I can't just quite turn that corner of I'm, I'm with him in that corner. Well, what you said there, though, is you said that you think that they're two sides of the same coin, but they're not, because because Killmonger and you mentioned it. His like I, I like to think of it as like what would be his company's mission statement, right? <laughs> and his company's mission statement would be we need to improve the situation for the oppressed so they can rise up against their oppressors. That is his motivating goal here, and he's motivated by other things, including revenge and you know family strife and all and all yeah. of those things. But that's what he's motivated by. He recognizes the at best moral failing and i think that at worst you could call it evil of allowing the world to suffer when you are able to help he recognizes the evil of isolationism which is something that this country could recognize i hope and i hope it does at some point in the future he understood who the real enemy was i don't think t'challa does that i mean he at the end of the movie and and by the way that ending scene we can talk about the ending scene with him in the un that was supposed to originally be in the movie and they took it out ryan Coogler said for symmetry reasons they wanted to start in oakland and end in oakland right but that yeah. was supposed to be in the movie that is not just some throwaway that is him going to the un and saying here's our thing so at the end of the movie he he takes these things that could have been handed to the oppressed and allow them to kind of rise up. And he hands them literally to the colonizers. He hands this technology, he hands these weapons, he hands this power to the 1%, to the elites, to the oppressors. He gives it to them. And even though, and I think it's also important to remember, even though he's painted as a benevolent king, he is still the head of a hereditary and seemingly patrilateral, how do you say that word? monarchy patrilineal there you go patrilineal monarchy right so like you go and you look at all these things and you say so what we have here is a movie about a revolutionary who's painted as the villain and the entrenched power who's painted as the good guy and in the end the entrenched power wins and we're supposed to cheer about that i not me man that's not (laughs) my like maybe i'm maybe i'm too far on leon trotsky but that's not me man (laughs) I I think if you for me though you have to take into, into light the scene before the end credits with him having the conversation with Shuri about the Wakandan cultural exchange or whatever the heck they called it um her teaching science and and engaging with these young poor kids in Oakland like I think with give out those turkeys me, man what's up give out those turkeys at Thanksgiving and everything will be fine sometimes you got to no uh, for <laughs> for I think. For me, that colors it. That is the lens through which I view it. And, and it's not – we're giving it to the colonizers. I feel like they're giving it to everybody. And I think we could talk about what that looks like for the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, how now you can literally cure anything. So there are z- literally zero stakes. <laughs> uh, we could talk about that later. Um but I think the reason why this movie works is because we can have a conversation like that. Yeah. Of and we have a we have a movie where the villain, air quotes, is his his influence and his ideologies change the way our hero views the world. And that to me is a successful film. When when you know, no matter what side you land on, the fact of the matter is you have a successful film because you've got an antagonist who not only sees himself as the hero, but 
you kind of understand where he's coming from, or a lot of us very clearly understand where he's coming from, and it influences how everybody else in the narrative understands the world. And that's why that's why one of the reasons why Civil War is so high on my rankings. And I and I don't know I don't know if other people hold it as high regard as I do. But the villain in that Helmet Zemo was the the exact same thing. Not the exact yeah. same thing. There wasn't there wasn't some of the you know obviously some of the racial things that were going on. But he was he was somebody who had truly been wronged and who wanted to and who wanted to try to end this thing that he viewed as evil. Which by the way. Superheroes kind of are like if you if you take if you take the real world approach to them, it's a very elite kind of way to view the world that these pesky people. You know, Loki said it in Avengers. He said, "You're you're you were built to to serve, right? You were built to kneel. You were made to kneel, right? That's kind of how superheroes, kind of how comic books treat humans. So like yeah. it wasn't that it wasn't that far off. So I I think that I think that what we're hitting on here, and even though we disagree about. Who's the bad guy? Obviously, I'm rooting for Chala to die in Infinity War. I'm not. I'm not. That's a joke. But the. Uh, but I. I think that that's really the key point here is that if you can if you can make that villain not be one note and you can make that villain interesting and sympathetic, then you have you have you have the bedrock for just a fantastic movie, which is what this turned into. Now I think I'm ready to say the bad part about it, which okay. is the. The entire the entire story arc with Wakabi, the in, the entire one like yeah. his relationship with Okoye, him joining up with Killmonger, all of it, all of it didn't work. And what's sad about that is it would have just taken one scene to make the relationship with Okoye work. They yep. said it th- like the the thing that was so awesome about Killmonger and that they did so well with Killmonger, they didn't do with that relationship, which is even more infuriating. They yeah. they said, oh, hey, guys, you know that these two people are in a relationship. They said it three times, and we're supposed to care instead of show that actually happened. And so that, that end line that should have been so awesome, like that end line that should have been so awesome where she's holding the spear up to him and he's on top of the rhino, that, that should have been great. But it kind of fell flat for me because I'm like, there's there's been no interaction between these two characters aside from you saying that they love each other. So 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 what should I care? So that that was a big problem for me, and then we can talk about why why in the world he would have he would have sided with Killmonger in this thing but just that relationship what do you think about that no that that to me is like Wakabi's whole story that if there's one thing I could change about the film that would be it and really we see what what Denai Guerrero can do with one scene because we look at the scene with her and Nakia in the yeah, throne room absolutely. where she's trying to get her to revolt um that like I got chills when she's like yeah. I I serve that throne and that's like Okay, I get that. You give me one scene with her and, and Daniel Kaluuya, who is also a phenomenal actor. Absolutely. You you give me five minutes of them just being in a hut, having a conversation. Um, you see movies all the time where a married couple has one conversation. Like, yep, they're married. I get that. Everybody who's ever been in a relationship identifies with that. So you're absolutely right. Where, where they did so well in so many areas of this, where they where they show and didn't tell, they flipped that on it, and, and it did a disservice to um, a character that I think could have been really cool. A couple of, you know, I think Wakabi could have been really cool. And yeah. you, you have a guy like Daniel Kaluuya in there who is a phenomenal actor who could have done some really cool things. And, you know, he's not dead, so the character probably will come back at some point. Um, but we'll see how that turns out. Well, can we talk about him signing with Killmonger, which is even more of a... <laughs> Like it's even more of like a slab in the face to me. That that makes like no sense. And they tried to yada yada it away with him being like upset about Claw and about them not doing anything about that, right? But 
at the end of the day, Killmonger's father is the one who led to the event that led to his parents dying. He's the one that allowed Claw in, which led to his parents dying. And we're just supposed to believe that he's like, oh, since you bought me the guy that killed my parents, I'm just going to be cool with you showing up and me helping you, ostensibly the side that led to my parents' death. Like, that... Like I can't, I can't make that jump. That was well, so bad, and I understand it had to be there. I understand why they did that, but it did not work for me. I also think did did anybody in Wakanda know that? I thought they kept all of that a secret. Like I thought that was one of the like nobody actually knew uh, about. Um, but then didn't Killmonger, Killmonger told a story? Then Killmonger told a story. He he told him. He said my uh, that Tachanka killed my father. In Oakland, right? Didn't but he like I, tell the whole story? He told that story, but I, I don't, and I don't think there's any way he would know that his maybe dad right. took Killmonger there. Yeah, so maybe you're right. So maybe that's maybe that's not as big of a problem as it was. It just it struck me, I guess, knowing the knowledge I have is wrong. But yeah, that's a good. It point. It happened too fast. I'll give you that. Like there was yeah. no. It was just like, hey, I'm mad at you because your dad was ineffective in this, and now you're being ineffective, and blah blah blah, broody broody broody. One time, I by flip. the way, <laughs> once. Yeah. No remorse, but he was also, and we could talk about, we'll talk about this for just a second. There was a, there was a moment early on when he kind of hinted at some militancy where he was like, you can let me and my men go and we will handle this. Yeah. Um, and so he, he kind of looked like that. And so I'm, uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out in the next film. And again, you don't have a guy like Daniel Kaluuya in that role to not bring him back for a subsequent movie. So I'm interested to see, I mean, Feige has already said he wants Coogler back for, for black Panther two. Um, there's going to be, I think some bigger world ramifications. Like I would love to see them explore what the, you know, Marvel UN says to, so wait, you guys have had all this technology for centuries. Where are you at? World war one. Yeah. Where are you at in World War Two? Like, where were you at? Like, they are they yeah, are but, complicit in all of those things. Yeah, but comics have a have a tendency to yada yada that stuff. Wonder Woman just sat out World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get the the Marvel story building, world building, and the DC world building do not belong in the same conversation. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, no, I, I will give you that. Uh, so one last thing we do want to talk about uh, in this is let's spin it forward a little bit because the next one, our next movie it's is coming, The Biggin. Baby. It's The Biggin, Infinity War. Side note, I just realized and I re-looked at the Infinity War trailer and our boy M'Baku is right there in the middle of the fracas. Yeah. Come on, big dog. No, so um, spinning it forward, you know, the it seems like from everything that we've seen, the third act of Infinity War is going to take place in Wakanda. Like, that's obviously the big knockdown drag out. We've seen the kind of everybody running at each other, the, um, the Dora Milaje, Okoye's right in the middle of the mix too. Uh, so I'm super excited for that. But one of the things, and kind of the internet is, is kind of all up in, um, all up in a, a roar about is, Will there or won't there be an Infinity Stone? Because Ryan Coogler said that the the Soul Stone wasn't in this movie. But it's hard for me to believe that the Soul Stone is not what is powering these characters' ability to go to the astral plane and see their ancestors. And it's not fueling the heart-shaped herb that gives them their power. So, Ray, is Ryan Coogler just kind of playing the gamesmanship game by saying, you know, the Infinity Stone wasn't in this movie? Uh, is is the Soul Stone the purple stuff that gives the, the, the heart-shaped herb 
its uh, its powers. So I like this theory a lot. When you first floated this theory to me, I liked it quite a bit. And I, you know, obviously it was kind of in the back of my head. Uh, the Soul Stone's not purple, but they've kind of played with played they fudged with it a bit. Stone colors already, right? So, yeah. so yeah. So that's that's that certainly doesn't mean that it can't be that. But I think when you look at what he said, it wasn't just that he said. It wasn't in the movie. It wasn't just that he was trying to be, you know, obtuse about it. He said, I love the Infinity Stones as much as any comic book fan. It's just Wakanda already has its thing, which is vibranium. Suggesting that that is just their thing. Now, it's weird that a metal would, any metal at all, ever, yeah. would have these powers that would, and would glow like that and would do all of these things to these people. It's weird that when it would mesh with the ground, it would be able to, Produce this, you know, this heart-shaped herb, which obviously they should be able to grow again, right? It's probably growing at some point. I'm assuming there's going to be a subplot of them going to a mountain to get some more herbs that are there. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, I'm assuming that's going to be a subplot in Black Panther 2. Yeah, so I, I think that I think it makes some sense that that's where it is. And also, you know, if the battle is going to be there, it's obviously going to be there for a reason. Maybe it's there because now we know that Wakanda is the most powerful country on Earth, and so Thanos is coming to attack the most powerful country on Earth, which is not the United States, it's Wakanda. So maybe maybe that's what's happening. But I, uh, I just, I don't know. The way he said it, the actual quote itself, I'll read more of it. Uh, for us, vibranium was special enough, so to throw something like another special thing didn't feel right. It felt we should, we should stick with our one MacGuffin for the country and explore that. Let that be the important thing because, frankly, we didn't need to have another piece like that. That's pretty – It's pretty definitive. That's pretty definitive. And so even though I love this theory, I think this theory is fantastic, especially since I could call it the heart-shaped uh, the heart shaped herb and that would be the H in my Thanos and everything would be right with the world. <laughs> I still I, – I, I just don't think so. I, but, you know, maybe he's lying. Or maybe he's maybe he's maybe he's uh, shrouding the truth. Shall we? Say? The 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 for us is what made what gave me Fair pause. Enough. Yeah, that's what gives me pause. But you know what? Every time I've tried to predict how it's going to work out, because we were saying all over that Hella was going to have yeah. the Soul Stone, and there was nary a mention of an Infinity Stone in that film, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and uh, this fits better. They're, them able to travel back into the ancestral plane. Yeah. That's Soul Stone all over it, right? So hundred percent. So yeah, it's it's interesting to say the least. Yeah, I, I I'm excited to see how it goes. We've got a few short months before we get our uh, before we get our Infinity War payoff. It's been like it's been a decade in the making, and I have never. Uh, I'm almost as excited as I was for the Force Awakens. But that brings us to everybody's favorite part of the show. Not quite. Ending credits. Ending credits. How do we? T- how did I miss that? You gotta talk about ending credits. So. Yeah. The the one that was originally meant to be in the movie, we've already kind of discussed that. Yeah. The problems with that. Um, it is interesting that they basically just recreated the Iron Man press conference, which <laughs> yeah. is which I was intentional, by the way. It wasn't that they were just that was intentional. It was interesting. The final one, however, with with Bucky, which we knew was going to happen, like everybody knew that that was going to be the one. But there is something interesting in there. There is that they call him the White Wolf. Yes. Why is that interesting, Gerald? 
It's interesting for a couple of things. So if you know the White Wolf character, he is in in the comics. He his family somehow crash lands in Wakanda. He his parents die. He survives. Kind of comic book tropey. Um, but he's adopted and becomes uh, an an elite hunter. And he's I think the thing that jumps out to me is he's an adopted Wakandan. Yeah. And so now we see Bucky seems to be an, an adopted Wakandan from the way that he and Shuri are interacting. And so for me, one, I think they're there. It could either be a wink and a nod to, hey, you comic nerds, remember this obscure character? Or for me, that clears the way and clears up when Cap bites it or when Chris Evans' contract expires or however this works out. Um, I think we're going to get a Falcon Captain America. I think... I think Sam is going to take the 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 shield. I think he's going to be it. I think they're clearing the way. I think you know what? Give me some uh some Winter Soldier, some White Wolf in Wakanda. Let him stay over there um and let uh the things that are happening in America, let all those things happen. I I I really want to see that happen. And it seems like he's like leading fighters in that battle yeah. in Infinity War trailer. Like it seems like he's he is in some position of authority. As that's happening. So it kind of lends credence that. I thought, yeah, I, I saw that and I went, interesting. Interesting. Anyway, all right, let's get on to Grandma. All right, so, very spoiled it, but it's time for everybody's favorite part of the show your favorite segment, my favorite segment, your grandmother's favorite segment. Don't sleep on it. So, Raymond, what can the good folks not sleep on this week? Well, it's been, it's been taking up a lot of my time, so I have to talk about it, and that's Fortnite Battle Royale, which I will admit that I am late on this game. It came out, I was it three months ago, four months ago, the Battle Royale came out. But I think it, it deserves a mention. It is just a, a rip-off of Player Underground's uh, Battlegrounds. It's just a rip-off. You're dropped onto an island with 100 people. You have nothing. You have to scavenge for supplies and survive with your team while a storm closes in around you. And if you get caught on the other side of the storm, it slowly kills you. So it's just a ripoff, but it is a much more arcade play style. It has a much more cartoony look. It has crafting in it, which is kind of Fortnite's known for. So it has the crafting element. You can build things, you can destroy things. Um, and, uh, it's like I said, it's a lot more arcadey. I'm not huge on those things on, on really any of those things, except the crafting, the crafting's kind of fun, but the arcade play style, I'm not so big on that kind of cartoony look. I'm not so big on, but Fortnite is something really working in its favor. It's very important to me, and that is that it is free. And so you can play, <laughs> you can play the Battle Royale for, for absolutely free, which is, which is you know, kind of gives it a nice edge in, in, in the Battlegrounds war. I still think that Battlegrounds is a better game. The couple times I've played it, I've really enjoyed it. But free is the right price for me, and, and that's what Battle Royale is. Free is the right price, and also I have a weird thing about paying to beta test somebody's game. Yeah, and so until PUBG is finally in a a 1.0 stage, you're not going to get any money from me. Same thing with Minecraft. Minecraft has never had a 1.0 release. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to pay for your beta testing. It's just not who I am. If you want me to beta test for free. I'm all about that life. I've got four or five apps on my phone. I'm beta testing, but I ain't paying for your beta test. So my don't sleep actually loops back around to Black Panther. So Vanity Fair does this really cool thing with uh, high profile movies where they bring in uh, somebody on the production side. You know, they've got, um, when they call it, they call it an anatomy of a scene or notes on a scene. Um, and so they, they've done it with the, the dance choreographer from La La Land. They brought in Taika with TD, um, to break down a fight scene in, in 
and Ragnarok. They have, um, you know, the director of Darkest Hour talking about um, Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill and his method. But so they did one with Ryan Coogler for Black Panther, and it's one of the longer ones they've done. The rest of them are usually about five or six minutes. Coogler gave him ten, which phenomenal. But he is breaking down uh, kind of note by note what went into the casino fight scene in Black Panther and not just the the fight choreography and not just the blocking but the visual cues and the symbolism that they used how they have um characters intentionally in green black and red uh outfits and costumes to symbolize the African Union flag they've got um you know, Okoye wearing a wig and it's a sign of uh, great disrespect because when you join the Dora Milaje, you shave your head. Um, and her, you know, having the opportunity to literally throw the straight hair colonization at a South African character, that's a big moment. Yeah. Uh, it just, that is so cool. And showing, he talks about, he uses a term in here, fierce femininity, which is so cool where, um, where, um, Lupita Nyongo's character, Nakia, slashes somebody in the face with a, uh, with a high heel, taking the femininity and turning it back on them as a weapon. And so it's just, it, you go and you watch a movie like this and you see all these things and you sometimes wonder, like, did the director intend for these things to be there or am I just wanting them to be there and interpreting them? And this 10 minutes shows me that everything that we know and we saw about Black Panther was done intentionally. There's yeah. nothing that happened. There's nothing we're inferring un- incorrectly. Coogler did it on purpose. And you know what? I I has I I'm not big on um this term I hate this term but when uh when Ryan Coogler first came on the scene with Fruitvale Station um people were calling him an auteur an auteur and I think hearing his mindset and the way he breaks this down I'm starting to believe the hype. Yeah, and we can add another don't sleep to that. Go watch Fruitvale Station. Yes, go watch go Fruitvale watch Station. Go watch Creed. Watch them both. Yeah. They're both phenomenal. Cooler crushes it. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to to just see what else he does because Black Panther 2 is going to happen because they're just going to back the Brinks truck up to his house and be like, okay, how much you want? Cool. How many zeros was that? Yeah. Make it out to you or your wife. Okay, cool. We got this. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to see him continue to get high-profile things. And by the way, if, if Coogler and Michael B. Jordan become the new Scorsese and Leo, let me have some no, of no, that. No, 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 no. Scorsese and De Niro. Thank you very much. Okay. Scorsese has a lot of actors that have basically, he's, he's given them their Oscars. Uh, but thank you so much for listening in again this week. And it would mean a lot to us, like we said off top, if you leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, share this with your friends. You can connect with the show at Longhorn, or not Longhorn Pod. That's my other show. At Two Woke Nerds on Twitter. You can email us, Two Woke Nerds Pod at gmail.com. Raymond, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Find me on Twitter at RM Summerlin. Not Longhorn Pod. Although you can check that out if you're into Texas Longhorn Athletics. It's a pretty good show. Uh, I host it with our maester, Kyle Carpenter, every Monday night. Uh, And again, thank you so much for listening in. And until next time, stay woke. Stay woke.